Hey there, welcome to Startup Steroid. Today I'm talking with Brad Chisholm. Uh, he's an angel investor and he is also the founder of Launch Factory. Uh, and with Launch Factory, he's doing something really unique. Um, we all know the standard angel investing model where we are um, essentially, uh, you know, a founder starts a company in his uh, basement or in his garage, uh, grows it to a point where he needs additional capital to take it to the next level. And then, uh, you know, eventually an angel investor steps in and helps him grow the company. Brad is doing something very different and is really turning that model upside down um, with Launch Factory. And that's the story we're exploring today. So, is, this is a really interesting concept, and I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Um, having said that, a couple of house, uh, housekeeping details. Uh, if you are an investor and would like to join our network, um, please uh, send me an email. My email address is on screen. It'll be on screen uh, at the end of the interview also, and it's also in the description. Um, so just send us an email. We'll get in touch with you, and we'll uh, um, get you connected to our network. If you are a startup founder and are looking for capital investment, go to our website. Our website is startupsteroid.com. Click on the founder link and fill out the form there. And again, you can become part of the network. Um, and if you're just interested in this kind of content going forward, just make sure you click, click the subscribe button and uh, we come out with shows every single day. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we come out with a startup story and a deep dive call. And on Fridays, we talk to an angel investor like Brad and explore their background and what they are actually looking for in companies. Um, so that's our schedule. And uh, if you're interested in that contact, make sure you click that subscribe button. Um, and uh, having said all of that, let's get into the call. Hey, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and. Uh, participating in this initiative. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you have a really unique style of investing. And that's a style that we really want to explore and see if we can uh, learn from you and uh, learn from uh, you know, your, the, your way of doing things. Um, so welcome aboard. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So give me, I know you are an entrepreneur at heart. You started your own company. You sold it a few years ago, but help me fill in some of those blanks. Uh, tell me a little bit about your background. So I started off with a undergrad in engineering and math. So very much on the technical side, began my career in the semiconductor world, which was, you know, at the time, which was amazing, right? It was, you know, I, it was, it was a lot of fun. I started working at 4ST Microelectronics in Dallas as an intern mm. student. And then when I was graduating, I had an opportunity to take a position at ST in San Diego. And I thought, you know what? Never really lived anywhere outside of Texas. This is a good chance for me to try something new. And so, you know, figured to give San Diego a try. Never intended to stay in here, but <laughs> you know, once you go San Diego, it's hard to anywhere else. Uh, so came out to San Diego, uh, worked for ST, great learning experience, but they ended up shutting down the fab pretty quickly after I got out here. So this would have been uh, around, you know, early 2000s, they shut down that fab and I, I, there's a job opportunity basically doing the same thing I was doing, but only in the R&D side for the Navy. So, so mm -hmm. now, uh, now I switched from manufacturing to research and development, still in the semiconductor industry. And, and this, was, this was one of these jobs that it, it sounded really cool, right? So I'm working in this underground bunker, literally. They had a built a fab in an underground, it was an old cannon battery in the side of the hill in Point Loma. So it's this underground building. You drive to work on the point. So you have the bay on one side, the ocean on the other side, and it's just this, you know, it's amazing, right? So Wow, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're doing R and D, it's a much different pace and it's a little bit more cerebral and a lot less hurry. Uh, it was, uh, and, and there's part of me that loved that. And there was a part of me that just, just couldn't, you know, I need to move fast. Uh, and, <laughs> and so, uh, so, but I, but I learned a lot there. One of the things that we, I got to participate on is this one project for MEMS based inertial sensor. 
And this project really interested me. And so, um, and this was right around the time that I was discovering that, that I was really a closet entrepreneur, uh, you know, that I, that maybe, maybe I want to do the business side rather than the, than the technology side. So I had started taking, uh, at the time, um, started taking, you know, business classes, working towards an MBA at SDSU. And I spoke to Richard Waters, who was the inventor of this inertial sensors technology. And it turns out he had been having entrepreneurial ambitions himself, specifically to license this technology and then take it out of the Navy. So, so he and I decided it'd be a good idea if uh, to partner up on this. We used my MBA program as the incubator you know, for this. So every class, you know, business plan writing class, uh, you know, marketing class, we use this technology as a subject matter. Right. It was it was wonderful. The st- the faculty there was very supportive of all of this. We concluded, or I concluded, the MBA program with business plan competitions, which is you can think if you're not familiar with those, it's basically you know the same as as pitching to investors, mm-hmm. only it's a it's an academic exercise, but it's a very serious academic exercise. Right. It was, um, I mean, I ended up um, taking in. It was on the order of um, you know I think just my half was about $40,000 in prize money that you win from these competitions. Oh, wow. and, and it's even bigger now. Uh, but, uh, and we, one of the ones that we won, um, that one of the prizes was you got to go to New York City and ring the opening bell of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange. Wow. Yeah, so this was, so this was That's my, incredible. this was what starting a company was like for me, right? Like you get all this instant cash and you get to go ring bells uh, and you wow. know, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be easy, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so it wasn't easy, uh, you know, so we, so this was the birth of Lumidine technology. So we come out, you know, just hitting the ground running with, um, you know, with all this business plan competition success and everything else. And so we thought, okay, well now we're going to go raise investor dollars. And I went to at least a dozen different angel forums across the country. Right. And, you know, this paying for this out of my prize money that I got uh, from the business plan competition. Right. But, but, you know, it's one of these things that we, so I pitched, you know, and, I, and I, we, we went in thinking that, you know, we've, we've practiced this pitch. We've, you know, it's clearly has been vetted by these judges. We'll do really well. Right. We raised exactly zero dollars uh, from each one of these angel investor forums. We get people would say, well, you know, they liked my slides and they liked the story, but we didn't get any checks. And it took me a while to figure out why. Mm. But, but then when you, when you, cause if you look at it, this was in 2007 and 2008, we were we had an inertial sensor technology. So sp- the first variety we were going to make is accelerometers. There were right. no accelerometers in cell phones at that time, so nobody had heard of an accelerometer. Right. Our first target market was called seismic imaging for the oil and gas industry, and nobody had heard of seismic imaging. So we have this sensor nobody's heard of for an application nobody's heard of. So no matter how well you tell the story, you know, smart investors aren't going to put money in something they don't understand. Right. Right. Um, so, but despite the fact we didn't raise any money from these angel forums, we did still close a million and a half from angel investors. And where that came from is it started off with some friends and family money. And then, then you know, the investors we had, well, well, they would refer us to other investors. And, you know, and, and, and so we, we slowly were able to just uh, through word of mouth, get the investor interest we needed. But it was very educational for me because, you know, we actually, this, these network contacts took me all the way to a self-made billionaire that closed our round. Wow. But in my personal network, there aren't any self-made billionaires and nobody that's even close. Right. So, right. But, uh, so this was somebody that was actually, this was, let's see if I can remember the chain. So this was my, uh, my mom's older brother, my uncle, his college roommate's wife, his wife turns out she was a big shot in the uh, you know, in the, in the, in the financial sector, it was one of, it was one of her contacts that was a self-made billionaire. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, so it was really interesting. You know, uh, I think everybody's network actually has that potential. You just, you don't know until you, right. until you start going down the path. But, um, but Seven I think it was degrees a, of separation, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and just that little branch, you know, there's a, other people that were in that group there, but that was over a third of the round was just from that, that small group of people. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, the smallest of which was my uncle. Uh, so, uh, so he put in 15 K and, and he was part of, uh, over 500,000 of the million and a half round. Wow. Awesome. 
So you raised that capital and I'm guessing you started to get traction because this is right around the time cell phones, I think, started to include that technology too, right? So that was, so we, we were very focused at the time. We didn't have a path for our technology to scale to consumer applications. And so we were focused on these high performance industrial applications. Right. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, so we closed around in July of 2008. Okay. And, uh, and so, so that was a good time to close, right? right. Because just a couple <laughs> of months later, uh, you know, the, the bottom fell out uh, yeah. and we were suddenly in really, really bad times. But there's a couple things we had going in parallel. One, um, we had set up a competitive process to get, we knew we needed to get a strategic partner for this oil and gas application. We couldn't do it on mm -hmm. our own. Uh, so, so we had set up a strategic, uh, well, a competitive bid process. And, and we got really lucky there because um, in the business plan competitions, one of the judges that we met, this was at Rice University, he, uh, he, he ended up being very impressed by what we were doing after at first being very skeptical, but then becoming very impressed. And out of kindness, he offered to give a CEO level introduction to every major company in the space that we were looking to do business in. Wow. So yeah, yeah, try to write, yeah, can you, I mean, can you imagine, you know, if I, if you are writing a business plan and your plan is you're gonna go meet somebody that's gonna just randomly open all these doors for you? So right. that, that, I mean, that was a situation where, um, it was our plan to go do this, but we would never been able, we never would have been able to do it without the right network contacts. Right, right, right. Uh, so I will always be grateful to Dan. His name was Dan Piat. Um, but there is, there, he, he didn't receive any, he, he, was on the, he was on the board of directors of some companies that prevented him from having any equity stake or financial involvement with, with mm -hmm. Lumini, my company. So, so despite the fact that he was uh, a key player, he didn't get compensated. Wow. Um, the, uh, and, and so, so what we did is we had set up this competitive bid process where we had, you know, it was really nerve wracking, but went to these CEOs and said, you know, we're selling, you know, field of use exclusivity for our technology uh, and, and not equity, you know, who wants, you know, who wants in. Um, during that same time period, we had applied for a Department of Energy grant that was a long shot, uh, but we had uh, been fortunate that an incubator that we had been part of in town had put us in touch with Lawrence Berkeley National Labs, and we partnered up with Lawrence Berkeley National Labs, submitted this long shot proposal. It got awarded at the end of August, and this is a $1.2 million grant on top of the $1.5 million we had just raised. So our budget, we only needed a million and a half, and now we have an extra million point two. Right. Um, so the downturn of the economy was happening, and everything was going on sale, and we had extra cash. So it wow. was it was, you know, this was a lot of, a lot of, you know, good luck happening here, but, uh, but then this, this competitive bid process, I mean, if you think of what happened at the end of 2008, the oil industry was going in the toilet, right? Yeah. Uh, and the credit markets were frozen. It was, it was just a really bad time. Right. But this was very educational for me as to how powerful a competitive process can be, because despite the fact that all of these things were happening, we ended up with a $2 million contract with one of these companies after it just finished its second round of layoffs. Um, wow. So, so now we have a strategic partner. That contract actually didn't get inked until uh, early February, but, um, but here we are in the, the downturn of the economy with now an extra $2 million and a strategic partner, in addition to the extra 1.2 that we had uh, from, from this grant. And so, you know, so we were really just, we went from, you know, we couldn't get a single angel investor to give us a dime, right? Uh, and then just and really being stressed out, you know, about friends and family being the only support mechanism. And, and, and then, then realizing that, wait a minute, we're actually going to be able to close this round to then having, you know, 3.2 extra million dollars in the bank. In right. addition to and the million. fall while the world was essentially falling apart around you, right? That's right. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Um, so that obviously uh, amazing success story. So tell me the end result. So uh, I think you exited uh, probably in the 2013, 2014 range, right? Oh, That's right. So we exited in 2014. Uh, yeah. and, and by that point, we had pivoted over to consumer because we had found a way to move our technology into the consumer space, yep. which was good because the oil and gas industry and all the other industrial markets, they were all, uh, they, they were all on the decline, uh, you know, very difficult time. So there was no money yep. for us there. 
I mean, it, it, it was going to come back, but not in the time frame we needed it to. Uh, so, so we made our pivot over to consumer and then uh, very, it took about a year to put this together, but we laid the groundwork to get ourselves into a competitive bid process there. Uh, and so now we are, you know, we, what we did is we, we, we spent a lot of time networking up to decision maker level within a, you know, about a dozen different companies that were either in the, um, either in the space that would want to make and sell our technology or someone that would want to add, you know, be, that'd be a key user of this technology. So there's right. different categories. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we had to have it be a competitive process because there were aspects of our Navy license that would require, I guess you could say, a, a, a level of understanding uh, by the acquirer. I mean, limitations like we, we had to, the license was only valid if you were a US owned company. And mm. so, so this limits the number of players you can talk to. And it right. also means that if they were to change the, their, their headquarters, even if it's just for tax reasons, right? Um, I mean, you have companies, you think of them as US companies, but their headquarters are in the Cayman Islands or some other place. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, so those weren't eligible to be, you know, to acquire us. Right. And so, so the competitive process is how we're able to really create a forcing function where people are looking for solutions of how they could make it work rather than just identifying all the problems of why it wouldn't. Right. And so, uh, and so it worked. Um, we were surprised with Google. We made the announcement to everyone that we were talking to in June that we we're, you know, that we we're going to do this competitive process. Google was not one of the companies that we, wasn't even one of the companies we even thought of to talk to. We had no contacts there. The former CEO of our oil and gas partner, he had retired, um, was at a social function. Meets Brian McClendon, who's uh, was uh, you know, famous for Google Earth. Uh, tells them about what we're doing. Brian makes a, you know, sends, he tells someone else about us and has them check us out. Uh, uh, the, the engineer that was in charge of us, her name was Vidya and she'll always be my favorite Googler because of this, but she just was on it. And so, so she led the investigation. So our first meeting was in July and we had a term sheet by mid August. Wow. And, and, and part of that was because we had told, every, that was our timeline. We told everybody, you know, we announced in June, we want MOUs in July and term sheets in August, and, and that's what we're doing. And Google, when Google wants to move fast, they can really move fast. Yeah, that's incredible. That, yeah, yeah, that kind of uh, getting a term sheet in you know, a month from a company as big as Google, I thought I, you know, would be impossible, but that's incredible that you achieved that. Yeah, we almost didn't take the Google meeting because we saw it as too highly, too highly likely to be a waste of time. Right. Uh, and you know, you're feeling really busy, but but then it's like, wait a minute, you're going to turn down a call with Google? Like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, just just to say you had a meeting with Google is uh, right. was worth it, right? So, right. Um, yeah. So 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 yeah, we gladly went and and met with Google. Fantastic, fantastic. So let's fast forward a little bit. You had a great exit. Uh, you sold the company to Google um, and are you know, essentially consulting with them. But now, a uh, few, few years later, you're starting your own initiatives with uh, Launch Factory. And uh, so tell me a little bit about that transition and starting Launch Factory as uh, your own initiative. Yeah, so, so as, as, I, as I think you probably picked up from the, the Luminine story, you know, yes, I played a role, but there's a lot of things that happened along the way that were completely, you know, out of my control uh, and, and, and the result of the contributions of somebody else and in ways that were, you know, in ways that if you were to remove, like if you were to take Dan out of the equation or if you remove Bob from the equation, the one that introduced us to Google, you know, the story wouldn't, it, it could have, we may have, we may have just failed. Uh, right. And those aren't the only examples. So there's a, there's a lot of those examples. And so, you know, so, so here I really had these ambitions to get back in the startup world, but what I'm reminding, when I'm replaying the Luminine story in my mind, I'm realizing, you know, like this, this, it's, it's a lot bigger than what I can bring to the table if you want to be successful. So, so how do we create a structure where that becomes more of a repeatable process rather than good luck along the way? Right. Um, and so that's where the whole notion of Launch Factory came from, because you start looking at what causes startup companies to fail. And, and you know, 
in hindsight, it should have been more intuitive for me, but you go look at the data and, you know, startup companies fail for business reasons. It's, it's actually quite rare that they fail because the engineering didn't pan out or the technology didn't work. It's usually for some business reason. And these are business causes that start all the way from the very beginning, because a lot of times your passionate founders, you know, they don't look before they leave. They just assume everybody's going to love their product. You know, they don't do that upfront due diligence work. So, so with Launch Factory, we wanted to create a model to where we can repeatedly build great startup companies. And for us, that meant we have to go all the way to the very beginning, to the idea before you even have a team in place and build it up that way. And, and then another part of what you have to do is you, you realize that you know, the, the company and its success is going to be a lot more than just the founders. So you need to have a team in place, a team of advisors, not just you know, that it, with, with significant network outreach, where we're all motivated to make sure these companies are successful. And so if we, and by doing that, it's we're seeking to replicate what I got, uh, what I was able to, you know, in many cases, just get lucky to have with, with Lumidine because, you know, meeting a, you know, randomly meeting a judge at a business plan competition, you know, that's, that's not a repeatable plan. Right. Um, creating a core group of people that have network contacts and can be looking for these kinds of solutions, that is a repeatable plan. And we can pick the businesses that we pursue based off the strength of our team. So we can go in the strengths that our team has yep. rather than having a company and then looking for the strengths. That's so smart. Focus on the network first and then build up from there instead of going the other way, having an idea and then trying to find a network that can uh, support that. So that's, that's brilliant and a great way to start a business. Uh, so that, that, you know, brings us to launch factory. And that's, that was the main reason why I wanted to have this conversation because most people, when they envision a angel investor, they're essentially thinking someone with a big checkbook who goes around looking for startups and CEOs and write randomly writes checks. Um, in your case, your approach to angel investing is the exact opposite, right? You study the industry you, I guess, narrow down to an idea. So we, I want to talk a little bit more about this process and then hire the co-founders, essentially the CEOs for that idea. And now you're putting up your own money and backing that. Um, so you're starting with an investment and bringing in the CEOs to essentially execute on that idea. Is, is that more or less right? No, that's good. Yeah, that's correct. Yep, that's right. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that process. How do you actually decide on the, you, you said that, you know, you, you, your network essentially helps you guide what kind of industry you want to explore, but then how do you focus in on a business idea and what does the process actually look like to hire the co-founders or the CEOs for that idea? So for the ideas we have, one of our team members internally, Alessandro Ronaldi, uh, he's the one that's the architect for how we do our ideation and our, and our due diligence. We use the due diligence to largely be how we do our down select. So, so we have some very strict criteria you know, for any business for us to pursue. You know, we, we look at you know, what is its potential? Is it something that we think investors will put money in? Because if you can't check that box and we won't pursue it. Uh, it, it, needs to, it needs to be something that we are convinced can scale. And it needs to be something that we are convinced that we have adequate access to domain expertise to make sure that we are drawing the right conclusions. But it's, I mean, what Alessandro has done, so he's a Stanford MBA, former entrepreneur himself, uh, with, with a couple of uh, two successful exits under his belt. Um, but, you know, he's taken the process at Stanford and, you know, on this, how you analyze ideas and how you do this due diligence. And he's tailored it to be something that we can implement here at Launch Factory. And so, uh, so it's, it's a lot of work, but you get high quality results when you're done. Right. And so he, he sources the ideas from a few channels. So one is we have our own internal ideation process where he, he looks at things from a couple different angles. One of them being, you know, if you have a solution, well, go verify that there's really a problem for that solution. And, and, and if you have a, or if you identify a market that has a problem, go see if you can find solutions. And, and so you approach it from both angles. There's a lot of steps in between, but it's all meant to, you know, as soon as you can remove an idea from consideration, you do so so that you spend most of your time focusing on the ones you want to move forward with. So, uh, but he also spends quite a bit of time sourcing ideas from technology transfer from universities, government labs, which I have a lot of comfort there since that's my background. Um, 
but it's one of these things that as Launch Factory, you know, we are looking, we're looking for companies that can achieve a fundable milestone within a two-year time horizon. So, mm-hmm. so that means that some of these things you see at universities, you know, it could be great technology, but if there's still four years of R&D left, you know, before you get to that milestone, then we're going to pass on it. Um, but, but that's, but that's what he does. So it's a, and he, he spent, and he's not just him alone. We have a, a great team that works with him, but he's the one that's really architected this. Uh, and, and we love what he's done. Um, when it comes to the founders, the founders, we, we're very vocal here at Launch Factory that the founders are the most important thing for us to get right. Yeah. And, and of course you'll see, you're, I think most people in the investment startup world would agree with this. You know, you can give, you can give a, a really great founder, you can give them a mediocre idea and they'll fix it. Right. Yeah. You give a mediocre founder a great idea and they'll find a way to break it. So, um, so, so we firmly believe that. And, and at the same time, you know, while we have all this, we have, we know what the business is that we want to create and we have all this due diligence behind it. We also know that founders need to have the flexibility to implement things their way, right? Because uh, the way I might pursue a certain business might be different than how you would pursue it. But if you try to do it my way, or if I try to do it your way, it may not work due to individual right. skill sets, right? So, right, right, right. So what we do is we present our ideas at a high level, right? So it's a, so there's still lots of, you know, you know what the business concept is, but there's still lots of different ways you could take it. Yeah. And we, we put out an open call for people that think that, you know, that want to pursue this. And we have some, we have some upfront things they need to do. So there's some, you know, there's some about 45 minutes worth of tests they take that assign, you know, that give assessments on, on, on some of the abilities they have. So you can think of like a personality test and we have a lot of data that correlate. There's a specific metrics that we look for that correlate to performance in the workplace. And we look for those. You got to take all of these test results with some salt though, because nothing's perfect, but we use that to just down select to the people that we want to actually have enter our process. Right. At that point, we like to look for co-founders. So we have the, we have people partner up and we assist in that, but ultimately it's up to them to find their, 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 their uh, co-founder. And we put them through a process where each week we ask people to demonstrate their vision on our business idea. Right. And so, so that's the go to market strategy. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the financial projections. Uh, it's, it's the, um, the product description itself. You know, we want to see how they think about this business. And each week we do a down select until we get down to three pairs of founders per business. And then we bring in outside judges to be, to make the final selection. And so it ends up being a pitch of their vision for this business. And this last time we started off with 222 applicants for two businesses. So four positions. Uh, And the judges we brought in, we had a, a judge from Keshef Ventures, uh, several judges from CoFund in Orange County, and and representation from Tech Coast Angels, and the the judges were they were tremendous. They did a I mean, you 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 put people in front of real check writers, right? And you see the kind of questions. I mean, these guys have seen thousands of pitches, and the types of questions they ask are very insightful. Uh, and so so it was it was really really good, and it, it and. And, and it was, by the time we were done, you know, we, we had a lot of confidence that not only did we pick founders that are going to do a good job, we picked founders that are, that are very well prepared and, and, you know, we're really excited about them. Fantastic. So many good lessons to learn in that, you know, the last answer it's, it's incredible how much sort of thought you've put into this process. And by the way, if you're a, a, a entrepreneur, uh, someone who wants to start a company, but don't have an idea, you need to get in touch with Brad. So uh, you can be the next co-founder for his idea. But um, so many lessons as far as, you know, you're essentially doing your due diligence upfront before you essentially commit to one CEO or one co-founder and their team, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is sort of a new paradigm uh, of investing. Uh, I, I, I have so many things rolling around in my head, but uh, tell me more about sort of how this worked. You've been doing this for about two years. So uh, last year in 2019, you funded one company in 2020 i think you're funding two and 2021 the goal is to fund three four companies i think four right 
That's right. Four companies. Okay. So tell me what that process has looked like. You've already funded three so far uh, and you're getting ready to fund four. Um, how is this process working and how you, the first company, you're already more than a year into that process. Uh, what are the types of results you're seeing? Tell me more about the whole process. <laughs> yeah. So it's been, it's been very validating. So, so uh, Rupak Doshi is the CEO of OmniSync, our first company. Yep. Uh, and, you know, he's very well suited for the role. So he's come in and he's just, if you look at what he and Norman, his co-founder have done with the business, it's, it's everything that we wanted. Right. So, so they, they started, we started with them. Uh, their first day was literally Labor Day. So they started beginning of September last year. So they're not wow. quite a year old, okay. uh, but they recognized their first revenue in March. So they, they, not only did they get a first product up and running, it's a very early version of it. They call it their pre MVP, but, uh, but they, but it functions and, and they, and handles, uh, handles customers just fine. So, uh, so they, they were able to recognize their first revenue in March. And when you think about what was happening in March, you know, getting anybody, getting any revenue was, right. was yeah. hard and, and especially getting first revenue. Um, so they've been able to do that. We've been able to attract some really high quality, advisors to advise them and that's that goes to this brain trust and network contacts that you know that i was fortunate to be able to get access to at luminine that we want to create for our own companies um but you know you so so they have their their core advisors in place they have they have uh their they have a product where they've already generated revenue and they are ready for this fall they're going to have what they call their their true mvp ready where they can really start to scale the, the uh, number of customers. But by having this pre MVP version, what they've been able to do is, you know, is do some experiments with pricing models, uh, engage with real customers and really understand the marketplace. You know, we, we do all this upfront due diligence, but our view on due diligence, especially when you're, when you're looking at the customer side is that it's a perpetual thing. You never stop. Mm -hmm. Right. You're always needing to learn more about your market, your customers. How do you make it even better than it currently is? And, and that's one area where these guys have really been tremendous because they spend a lot of time talking to the customers, you know, looking at things from different angles and seeing, seeing how they can make their offering even better. So, um, so they are, they're off to a really good start and we're very excited to see where they take things. The other two companies just started in June. And so right. the so the first thing we do before we do any I guess you could say real work we 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 do a ground up you know, start from the ground build up uh, a plan now of course you know Launch Factory has this view and due diligence on what the business plan should be the founders have already put theirs together and presented it and everything else but the very beginning is about the only time you're going to have any quiet moment to really reflect and think. And so, so both of the companies are just going, finishing up that process where they're going back and just doing a double check to make sure that we're really moving in the right direction. Right. And when you do that, now you can move forward really, really fast without, have, without second guessing and, and with much reduced risk of needing to do a, a you know, short uh, you know, change directions. Because if you can run in a straight line, you'll get a lot farther than if you're hopping around trying to change things all the time. And so, uh, so that's the environment we try to create where companies have the, the luxury of being able to do that. Um, but yeah, so we're, what we're going to see over the next few months is now is when we're going to start rolling out the, or implementing the plans that these founders together. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be really exciting uh, Q4 for us. That's fantastic. So um, just so uh, we're clear on the structure, you're actually investing seeding these companies which pays for a modest salary for the co-founders for the first little bit and you know you're essentially giving them that runway that 18 months or 24 months that you talked about um to really do what they need to do it might be develop the software get their mvp ready and then they actually have to go out and find investors into that company so tell me a little bit about what that looks like how much money are you seeding if you feel comfortable sharing numbers uh how much salary um, the founders get to take initially while they're still developing the product what the lifestyle is like i want to get a little sense of uh what their life is like yeah yeah no that's important yeah so so we put so they, so we put 300,000 seed capital into their bank account um, and that they, and so, 
so there's actually a lot more money that goes into the companies and $300,000, uh, you know, cause we cover legal expenses, they you know, the uh, office space, they don't pay for office supplies. So there's a lot of, a lot of overhead expenses. Plus they don't have to, there's no, like we're paying for all the diligence and all that kind of stuff. So, so the total money in is, is much greater than 300,000, but 300,000 is what they have full discretion on. It's in their bank account. The only limitation we put on it is to cap, uh, the amount used for salaries over the first two years or whenever they go get uh, outside funding to $200,000. So that ends up, you know, if you do the math, that breaks out to $50,000 a person, which, you know, in San Diego, you can definitely get by on that. You're not living large, but, uh, you know, you compare that to what most founders have to do. Like, for instance, when Luminine days, you know, I went, I went, uh, I went three years without a salary. Um, right. And I was, you know, I was just fortunate that I was able to because I had, uh, if you think of the housing boom that was happening in 2000, you know, or, you know, the first half, well, mid 2000s, all these condos going up in San Diego, I did a few of the, I flipped a few properties, you know, made some money. Um, but I stopped all of it when I went and did uh, Lumidine and then the housing market tanked after it. So it looks like I timed the market perfectly, but, <laughs> but the reality is I just got lucky. Right. Uh uh, so, so I was in a position where, and, and plus a business plan competition winnings where I could go without a salary. Right. But we wanted to make sure the founders can take some salary because our view is, you know, why limit ourselves to, to people who happen to be, you know, have some sort of independent wealth? Uh, why, I mean, the, what we really want are the best CEOs we can get. Right. And so, uh, but at the same time, you know, the, there is something to being a starving entrepreneur, right? So if you, if you're given the, you almost need to have that situation where, um, where it's a little bit uncomfortable at the beginning mm -hmm. so that as you progress and things get better then your, your situation grows with the company, not, not, uh, it, and anyway, it's, a, it's part of the, you know, the scrappiness that you need to have out of entrepreneurs, uh, that right. I think is, is a good thing, but, but, um, but yeah, so that, that's what we do. So we also ask that, you know, the, the budget we ask people to put together is make $300,000 last two years and get to your fundable milestone in time that you can go raise that outside money. Right. So, uh, because they will need to go do it. Now, um, we, we do get involved with helping out. So with, uh, with our network contacts, you know, we try really hard to create a situation where, where, you know, they know who the investor groups are out there. Uh, and we try to make sure that they're well positioned, you know, in terms of you know what these groups want to see before they before we go ring the doorbell. So it ends up, the the objective is to make it much more efficient for them than it would be for a traditional company. Yeah. It's still a lot of work, you know, but you know, but it's but it's a good milestone that for a company need to go through. If you can't convince other people to invest in your business, then you need to go back and rethink about your business. Yeah. Uh, and so, so making sure, and you don't truly know if this is the case until you get out there and actually do it. And so, right. Um, right. No, you're absolutely right that, you know, it, there are so many businesses that may be good, but really the investors from their perspective, they, they'll never invest in it. It might be because it's a lifestyle business, or it might be the market is too small, or, you know, there are a hundred reasons why it's not an investable business. Um, so, to have that view up front and make sure that you're actually building something that the investors can get behind, I think is extremely smart. And I think, you know, so the calculation was $50,000 per person per year. So two years is about 200,000. That's the, uh, the salary piece. And then the hundred thousand is essentially if they need to hire someone or develop software or any of those other resources they need to bring into the company. Exactly. But I think fifty thousand yeah. dollars a year, I think, is a definitely li livable salary. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're not going to have the penthouse, you know, overseeing or uh, overseeing the ocean or something. But it, it, you can, yeah, you're not worried about food or transportation or anything like that. So your basic necessities are definitely taken care of. But you're right in that they do stay hungry and want to achieve more, right? Because everyone wants that. 75, 100,000, 200,000 salary, not just be stuck at 50,000. So I think that's extremely smart. Tell me a little bit about how the equity sort of breaks out. 
between the founders, because you obviously want to give them the incentive to build up the company. You've obviously done a lot of work. You're giving them office space, investing 300,000. So you should probably retain some equity also. So tell me uh, how that uh, sort of breakdown works. Yeah, and this is this is this is an important one. This is also where you know we're not the only startup studio, but this is where you start seeing a lot of divergence in startup studio models, right? So right. Um, we are um, very much on the generous side for founders relative to a lot of other startup studios because our founders take two thirds of the equity, mm. and Launch Factory retains one third, and that's after the money. That's not before the money. So right. uh, so 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 there's. And we look at it as, you know what, we're going to be equal co-founders on this. They're doing, you know, the founders come in and they're going to be doing all the work and all the labor going forward uh, with our support and backing. But, but, and, but they, you know, we came in with a lot of the diligence and the cash and you know, the other things we're bringing in. So it makes sense for us just to be equal partners in this. Uh, we also want to create a situation where, you know, they don't lose, I mean, if the company does well, they need to benefit significantly financially. Uh, you know, from their equity, you know, that, that's, and so, so we, we didn't, we wouldn't want to, we wouldn't want to create a situation where somehow uh, their success benefits us more than it benefits them. So, so being equal in this makes a lot of sense. Um, a lot of startup studios are not equal. The startup studio owns a much higher percentage. Right. So, so we do this, um, the, and, but what we do at the same time, if you look at, you know, what, who really owns our equity, when I say our, you mean launch factories, well, it's launch factories investors. So launch factories investors own it. And if you look at the math and all this of, of what they actually get, they, they're able to get in to these really exciting companies at a much lower price per share than you could get as a traditional angel investor. And of course, a lot of people, you know, that get involved with us, part of their notion is, okay, well, I'll get in early in these companies. Then they get first look when they come out to participate again as an investor. So it's it's a it's a way of 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 doing things that way. But when you get in this early, you know the the whole um, you know, you, the whole notion of trying to get a 10x return on your portfolio, that suddenly becomes a realistic possibility. Yeah. You know because uh, you can get a 10x return on your portfolio, and you don't need to have companies exit for a billion dollars or 500 million dollars. You can get it off of exits that are much more reasonable. Right. Um, and so, and so it's, so it's a very investor friendly model, but in a way that goes and directly benefits the founders themselves because they're being in a situation, they start off with a company that's already capitalized, already has a lot of things behind it. But then the other thing that we do is launch factory from the investor side, we take a 20% carry. So borrow that from the VC model. But what we do with that carry, the bulk of that gets distributed to our advisors. Mm. So the, the people that come and work with Launch Factory to help us oh, wow. out, so, yeah. to help our companies out, you know, they're helping create this value. And so it makes sense that they participate in the upside. Right. And this way, the advisors are there available on day one and that the co-founders are essentially getting that benefit also. Um, so you're really creating a infrastructure where everyone is benefiting um, as soon as, you know, on day one of the company. That's, that's the, that's the whole idea. We want to have everybody aligned in the same direction. I mean, it's to the degree that, you know, like if you look at how, like me personally, how I would make money at Launch Factory, you know, I don't take a salary here, right? So I make money at Launch Factory by being an investor into, 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 into Launch Factory, not, not by a salary or anything else that I'm taking. So, so just, it's the whole idea is that, you know, it's a very investor friendly model that's specifically designed to, to benefit the founders. Um, and increase the odds of these companies succeeding. Which is, I mean, which is exactly what we look for also, right? As angel investors, if a traditional angel investor, I should say. But uh, so tell me a little bit more about what kind of people you look for as investors coming into um, start uh, in, into launch factory because it's not the traditional fund model it, we, i mean we can use that uh you know semantics but uh essentially you're taking in all of these investors uh for the startups that are you know in in essentially your incubator again another uh just sort of vocabulary but um tell me more about who you want to take into that group who you want um sort of share sharing in this uh, investment with you guys. Yeah. So this is, and this is our first time this for 2021 and beyond is the first time we're taking outside investors. And so we we're going through that right. process now uh, and it's going pretty well. 
Um, but it's but if you look at the type that are joining us and the types that we are uh, that 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 we want to have join us, uh, these are people that look at being an investor as in many ways as joining as a co-founder in a way, right? So hmm. so you know you think about it if you're part of the formation of that company, then when you invest in Launch Factor, you're really part of the formation of all the companies that we created in that year. Yep. So you're uh, you're a co-founder in that respect, and you're going to get a lot more visibility into these companies than you would um, investing by other means because of our larger equity stake. Then we, as Launch Factory, retain board board seats, and we'll retain those for a while. And of course, everything that we see, well, then our investors get to see. Uh, right. So we're looking for people that like this idea of being on the on the forefront of something new, and being informed, right? That they're participating. And, and then of course, there's a, you know, we see our investors as part of the network that can benefit these companies in the future. So, so, so they can benefit by either, you know, participating as investors in the next rounds or providing introductions, or maybe they have industry expertise that can, you know, where they can provide network contacts, whatever, you know, whatever the case, but the, the point being that this investor network ends up becoming something that actually goes and benefits our portfolio companies. Uh, in addition to the advisor networks that we have. Right. So you're not just looking for money. You're looking for essentially that network again, right? You want people who are uh, willing to support these startups, are willing to participate in the process and help the company grows as time goes on, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. That's beautiful. And uh, so again, another ask, uh, if, if there are any angels or investors out there with checkbooks and uh, don't really know the best way to uh, uh, deploy that capital, Brad can probably help you out in that regard. So that <laughs> yes, yes I, I will be able to help you out in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Um, so I, I think this is great. And uh, it's so interesting uh, as far as what you're trying to do with um, you know, the, the, the new companies that you're setting up, do you want to hint, uh, on what you're looking forward to in 2021? Or, uh, I think you have a big announcement coming up soon, so I'm not going to push you too hard, but tell us, uh, when we can expect it, how we can learn more. Yeah. So we're going to be doing, we'll be announcing two of the four companies. So the four for next year, we'll be announcing two of those in September. And then the second two in October, we, uh, you know, we, we, take our due diligence very, very seriously. So we don't want to unveil too early. Uh, so we want to make sure everything, everything, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But, but those are for us, it's a, when we cross that line and we can say, this is what we're doing next year. It's, it's a big deal here internally. Uh, you know, we, it's a, it's the only thing that's a bigger deal is when we select the founders for the companies. Uh, and so, so we're really looking forward to this and yeah, for the, the people that are investors, they get to be the first ones to know. Fantastic. Okay. So uh, one, they can sign up uh, to be an investor, but two, if not by September, so this is coming out by late August. So within the next couple of weeks, check your website to learn more about those companies that are, uh, that are going to launch uh, in 2021. That's right. And Fantastic. for those that are interested in being founders, you know, they, you know, look out for those companies because if you see one that, that you really like, then, you know, then let us know because we're looking for quality founders for each one of these businesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we'll have uh, some of your information, your website, everything listed below. So just go scroll down, like, uh, click on the links below and you'll be able to connect with Brad and all the information he's putting out. So Brad, I always want to end uh, these interviews with an action item. So here's the last question for you. Um, and I know you have a different approach to this. So the answer might be slightly different. But what is one thing an entrepreneur can do to get an investment, to get started, right? Um, growing their companies or taking their companies to the next level. What's one action item that you could suggest to the entrepreneurs? So, so some of this is, you know, depends on the audience you're talking to, right? You know, the, you know, the mindset of the investor. But, but what I would tell, uh, just generically speaking, you know, when, you are, when you're talking to an investor, particularly if you really want to get a sophisticated investor, make sure your story all the, goes all the way to the end, right? So, so you're not just trying to build something big and special. You want to build something big and special for which the investor gets an exit in the future. And yes. if you can connect the dots where you can say, and this is the path we're going to take, and this is how we're going to do it. If you can, 
and and I don't and I mean make it real. You know, it it, it not something where you say, well, you know, Amazon's going to acquire my business because they'll find it really exciting. It needs to be a little bit more concrete than that, right? Like, why do you think Amazon's going to be excited? And don't limit it to just them, but show us how you're going to position. And if you can if you can walk in with some established relationships that give credibility to that story. Now I think uh, you're you're going to get a lot more. You'll be taken a lot more seriously by the investor audience because they they can see that you aren't just thinking about this current round. You're already planning for the final round where the investors get to have their exit. That's so good, so good. And I think one thing I might add to that, if you don't mind, is uh, some sort of a time frame, right? Because uh, a lot of investors come in and they'll say, "Okay, I want you know I want to raise a million dollars so I can get to the next eighteen or twenty-four months." But what does that exit look like, right? The exit is five years from now, seven years from now. And by then the valuation will be 3X, 5X, 7X, whatever it is. Um, give us a time frame, just, just as, a, as a guidepost. And, you know, obviously things are going to change. You know, you could say five years, but it might end up being seven. But that's such a good, good uh, sort of thing to start out with, right? Know your end goal. And th then you can sort of plan out that journey uh, so much better. And uh, yeah, so that, that's a fantastic advice that see the journey yeah, through. And I agree with you. The, the time frame, you know, by, by being able to articulate the time frame and make it believable, meaning that you know, mm -hmm. clearly you've thought of the steps, what you're really doing is, is also cementing the fact that you've thought about this plan and you know how to carry it out. Yep. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, th I, I, like the, I like the fact that you brought up the time element because I completely agree. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I, I, I love the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we're already running out of time, so I have to cut this short, but uh, I love talking to you. Every time we get on the phone, we, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Uh, but thank you for sharing your wisdom and your unique approach to investing. Um, so many lessons we can learn from you. So thank you for sharing that knowledge and coming on today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great to be here. Fantastic. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today, Brad. And I really appreciate uh, all the time that you took to uh, um, do the interview. Um, once again, for everyone who wants to become part of the network, my email address is on screen. Um, click on that and we'll get you connected. And uh, it, we talked about a bunch of new initiatives with Brad. If you want access to any of those, we have everything linked uh, in the description below. So make sure you click on the, those links and uh, get connected to Launch Factory. Um, and uh, last but not least, make sure you click the subscribe button to continue to get content like this every single day. Uh, we come out with episodes five days a week. So uh, we want to make sure that you don't miss a single one. And uh, if you click the subscribe button, we can make sure that we're always in your feed. Uh, with that, I'll wrap it up. Thank you again for your time and I'll see you on Monday. Bye.